Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. With mixed market bet builders, in-play betting and a selection of welcome offers, make sure your Premier League is spent with BetVictor's premier betting app. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, everyone. What's up? Chelsea fans, I hope you're all feeling good. This is Xavier Mbuyamba. Hey, you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Enjoy. Fellow Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, we are thrilled to have this individual on the podcast today. He is a man who made 103 appearances for the club, scoring five goals. He was part of the Chelsea side that won promotion to the first division in 1989. Here is Clive Wilson. Clive, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Keith. Uh, Looking forward to it. Brilliant. Fantastic. Clive, I'll start off this interview as I have done with all the others. I want to take, take, take you back all the way to the beginning of your professional career and even before that. Who influenced you to become a footballer? It, oh, God. Um, the, first per, the first person that I kind of uh, watched or admired growing up was, was probably Steve Iway. Steve Iway and Brian Hall, who were playing for Liverpool at the time, um, just, just for the way they played, um, not for anything, nothing, nothing other than, and nothing other than that. But then I, I end up supporting Liverpool due, through that. But I've got to say, my first influence as such is remembering, remembering the name was Clyde Best because his name was was like not too far away from mine, and he was a he was a black man like myself. So he was the, one of the very first people I um, kind of recognised as a footballer. But in terms of a role model or someone who I wanted to be, when very young it was, um, as I said, Brian Hall, Steve Alway. But later on, it became Liam Brady and Glenn Hoddle were my were my idols. Okay, as you sort of grow up to sort of to the point of school and the possibility of becoming a uh, professional footballer, who was sort of that person or persons that? guided you to say you can make it as a professional footballer you know you should sort of maybe do this and see where it leads you I, I was I, when I was uh, uh, maybe 12 13 playing for a local side in in um, Manchester called the Eagles we were we were at that time labeled as uh, Crystal, Crystal Crystal Palace's juniors up the, up the north uh, wore, the, wore the Crystal Palace kit um, and I had a, a manager called Ted Davis, who, who used to scout for scout for Crystal Palace, 
and and he always encouraged us, encouraged obviously the uh, players in the team to try to make it to become footballers. And he, obviously with his influence, he could maybe open one or two one or two doors for us. And the, but the irony is is he didn't even get me to he didn't get me to Man City. Somebody else spotted me and asked me to go. Okay, what position was you sort of predominantly as a youngster? Was you always sort of on that left hand side, whether it was left back or left mid, or was no. there another position? No, I was always I was always left left in mid left midfield. So call it left wing or left left inside forward, one of the two. Um, I only ever only ever started playing left back once I became a, I got I got into the pro game. Okay, we might talk about that later in sort of at your time at Chelsea. But I want to take you back as well to March 1987. Do you remember that well? I, I remember, I think I can remember the year, but, but the event, <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to remind me. I'm getting old, Keith. Well, not, not, not an event as such, but at the time you was playing for Manchester City at this moment in time and the club received an offer from Chelsea for... Oh, right. Yes, no, I remember. Now I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your thoughts at the time of, of this offer made by Chelsea? Was you sort of perhaps sort of a little bit dismissive or did the club, sorry, Manchester City, I should say, were they sort of looking to maybe let you go or was it more of a, your decision? No, the, the irony of that, again, um, I this is... Only six weeks earlier, I'd signed a, signed a new contract, a two-year contract at City. So you kind of think that uh, you're going to, I'm going to be there for at least the next the next season, at, at least. But I always remember um, Jimmy Frizzell, uh, who was manager at the time, um, called me into his office. And, he, and I remember his words saying, saying to me, Chelsea have made an offer, an offer for you, which, which we can't turn down. I mean, as it... As I think about it now, what he was saying was Chelsea have made an offer for you. We want the money, so you've got to go, right? Sort of thing. But, but it was um, back then. I was I was thinking it's first time I had that back then. There was of course there's no agents as such. I had no idea about what happens on the transfer, so it, it was a bit of a shock to me saying, "Well, somebody wants to buy you. What happens now?" Um, so I remember speaking with. Uh, Neil McNabb, who was playing the team, and he kind of gave me a few um, things that I needed to to do or ask for when City when I went to Chelsea. But I, I truly went there totally in the dark about transfers and what happens. The fee, I believe, when I was doing my research, was around two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. But yeah. part of the was was it part of the deal that you went back to Manchester City on loan for the rest of the season? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that, that the, the deal that was the deal was pending. That um, Chelsea said, "Oh, oh, Sid said, yeah, you, you can have him, but we we want him to, we want him to uh, come back to play for City for the rest of the season in the hope to stay because City, City were then in a relegation fight. Mm. Um, and I guess they were hoping that my presence would have uh, could have helped them stay up. Was you happy with that decision? You know, I didn't. You know, I didn't even give it any. I don't really think I gave it any thought. Because um, in the days that that would have been, I would have just been playing for Chelsea between March and for the two months because that, that March was a transfer deadline or, or yeah transfer deadline time, um, and I would have been playing for Chelsea in the two months. And, and looking back again, I, I think yeah, I didn't make, I didn't think it was a good or a bad thing. It just meant that I was going to Chelsea for next season. So um, I suppose so. 
suppose what it did for Chelsea was then get my services should anybody else want to buy, it in the, buy me in the summer. The manager at Chelsea who, who brought you to the club was John Holland. What were your thoughts on John at the time when you arrived at Chelsea? A really, a really decent, a really nice fella. Um, obviously, I knew I knew about him from his playing days. He was a Chelsea player. He'd been at, he'd been at Arsenal as well, and I know he'd done quite, he'd done quite, he'd done quite well. I wasn't sure. Um, he was such such a, a nice fella, and I, and I don't want to be cliched because don't sound too cliched. Going on, he was too nice to be a manager because you can be nice. You just got to earn the respect of of the, the players, and that's. That's, he was just a, a very nice fellow. I just don't think um, he commanded enough respect from the players to have been a successful one, hmm. a good successful manager. We had uh, Steve Wicks on the podcast a few a few weeks ago now, and he mentioned at this particular period there was a few, quite a few clicks in the squad and the squad harmony wasn't as strong as what it should be. Did you sort of see that as well? And what sort of stories have, you know, could you sort of tell us that of potential sort of, you know, clicks in the squad or people perhaps not getting along with others? No, that Wix is probably is very correct in that. Cause I, I remember um, coming here and I, and coming, I was coming to Chelsea and I didn't. There was no um, clicks when I was at City. Everybody got on, and after about two or two or three months, I realised oh, there's a there's a change here. They had we had one group of um, players living Emil Hempstead way, and then they had another set of players living in um, Camberley, Sorry, and they, the the paths never crossed. As in, other than playing together, if if the Hemel people had a, a get together. They would invite just the people from there. And if the Camberley lot got together, they would invite the people from there. Uh, fortunate or unfortunately for me, I was living in London, so I kind of caught in the middle. So I got invites to both to both camps whenever they were doing whatever they whatever they pla- their plans were. But as as you said before, yeah, it, it was it wasn't harmonious. It was it was two two different camps, and because of that, I, I don't know if, if that led to. That that season, the first season there, that was the season that we got relegated, and it was it was a lot of not so much infighting, but not our, there wasn't enough harmony. Do you think, obviously, again, hindsight being a wonderful thing, do you think that if there was a more harmonious dressing room, then perhaps the squad would have been more unified and the results would have been there a bit more, and so Chelsea wouldn't have been in that position of a league playoff, which we will discuss later on. But possibly, possibly, um, because they had that team was you know played squad was a good a decent squad back then, and and me myself Tony DeRigo and Kevin Wilson joined joined at the, joined at the same time, um, and you would have thought that I think the idea the thought process was that we would we could have pushed up the pushed them up the league and kept Chelsea at the top of the league rather than the bottom. But it, it just wasn't to be. Well, let's let's talk about that season. You made your debut for the club on the opening day of the 1987-88 season. It was 2-1 win against Sheffield Wednesday. Do you have any particular memories of that game, whether, albeit whether the Chelsea supporters or the actual stadium itself? Do you know what? I've got to be honest and say, I don't, I don't remember. I thought, I, I thought it was against Boris. Right, but um, 
uh, but you said it's Sheffield Wednesday. It was a 2 1 home win. You might be right. Let me just double check. No, it was against Sheffield Wednesday, 15th of August, 1987. Right, okay. Yeah. No, to be honest, I don't, I don't remember who's, who ends up scoring the, the goals that day. Oh, right. Now, now you're testing me. Let me just go through my notes. Uh, the Chelsea goal scorers that day were Kerry Dixon and Golden Jury. Golden Jury scored a penalty. Right. Okay. No, I don't. I don't. I don't remember it as 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 standing out in my in my memory bank. But I do. I do remember. I can. I can think of me being quite nervous making making my debut because I'd never. I'd never played outside of. Well, never been outside of Manchester other than on. Uh, I never lived outside of Manchester, should I say? And it was a bit, it was a bit of a uh, little bit of a culture shock coming to London for me. Um, not not in the sense that football is the same wherever you go. It was just the off the field stuff, um, and I don't know if that affected the other two lads in the same way because um, Tony Tony was from Villa and Kevin came from uh, Ipswich. I, think, I want to say if it's not Derby, maybe Derby. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think. Um, the arm, the arm in the squad wasn't and wasn't as it should be, not as you expect, as you would expect, not as I, I expected it to be, because I'd never experienced this before. Mm. Kevin came from Ipswich. He came yeah. in that that summer. Um, it didn't take you long to for you to score your first goal for the club. It was against Portsmouth. Uh, that must have been a bit of a, a huge confidence boost for you, arriving at a new club and getting on the score sheet already. For, for your new team, yeah, very much so. Um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't an old prolific, prolific goal scorer. I made more than I was made more than tried to make more than I scored. But yeah, it's all. It's all it would always be nice to get off, get off, uh, to get off, um, and score goals pretty early in your in your career. So that that was that wasn't too bad. But I should have scored a few more. I should have scored a lot more in the time I was there. In regards to your position as a you know left wing inside forward, what was sort of the main tactical instructions that you was given? Did you think that coaches sort of saw you as like a goal scoring winger, or did they more see you as the guy to make the goals for the strikers to score? The second one, more yeah. like more like a, a wing, like a, a not so much a, a stand and deliver winger they used to call. So you stand out on the wing, you get the ball, you beat the fullback, you get the ball in, right? Um, more, more of that type of winger that back then. Um, that was what that's what you were expected to do. Um, but I don't think in my time at my time at Chelsea, I sh- well I know I don't think I know that in my time at Chelsea, I didn't really play consistently well enough um, to, to warrant having a permanent place in the side. Now, at this moment, we're going back sort of August of 87. At this moment, everything looks rosy. However, obviously, we've mentioned at the top of the show, this this season will be remembered for the wrong reasons, as the club were relegated from the first division for a league playoff when we played Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Again, spoken to Steve Wixon, in fact, Kevin Wilson on this, we spoke about the game against Charlton, that it was finished 1-0 and you know Chelsea had so many chances to score and it was at that point where if Chelsea did win the game, they wouldn't have been in this, this position in the first place. Um, after the final whistle against Middlesbrough for this league playoff, what was going through your mind at this point? 
are you talking about the Middlesbrough game or the Charlton game? Sorry, well, hey, go for both. Okay, for both. so the Charlton game, we got, um, yeah, we there was so I can remember that game missed an awful lot of chances that game and thought, well, at least we've got at least we get another bite in the cherry, right? We get another, and we we were playing the team a team from a division lower over two legs. We, we think, yeah, we're confident that we would have won. We, we could have done, done, uh, done the got the job done. Um, history says that that wasn't the case. Was there any part of you that felt that you wanted to leave the club to stay in the first division, or was you in fact happy to stay at Chelsea? No, no part of me. I, I was actually more, more than, um, more than d- disappointed that. Uh, Two years running, two years running, I'd taken the team down. <laughs> right? So when I'd taken Man City had gone down the year before, went to Chelsea expecting expecting to be on the up and the next the next season, another another side I'm in went down. So it was it wasn't the best of times for me. Just before that, John Hollins was relieved of his duties in the March with Bobby Campbell taking over. We've obviously mentioned about John Hollins it's from sort of people that I've spoken to as well as yourself today. He seemed too nice to be the coach of, of Chelsea Football Club. But what did you make of that decision of him leaving with Bobby Campbell taking over? If, if, I'm, if, I'm, if my memory serves me right, I'm sure Bobby Campbell came in in a kind of advisory role, um, coach, coaching role that kind of helped Help um, help John because the team was struggling at the time, and I think results didn't results didn't improve well enough. And um, John unfortunately got the sack, and Bobby just took over from there. Um, as he, he was sit, he was more or less sitting on on John's shoulder once John had gone. But um, to be to be fair with Bobby, when he came in, he, he kind of shook. And we went down that season, but he shook the team up and brought in brought in a few players and. Um, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about the, the next what happens the next season. Um, but yeah, it was suppose it was there, right place, right time. Hmm. What was Bobby Campbell like as a coach? Um, do you know, I, it's very difficult to say what they, what they were like because I don't think I, I truly got coached or got coached in in the position that I was playing until later on in my career. I think I think a lot of what I did, that, lot what I've done there was played off the cuff um, and if it happens, it happens. And if it didn't, it didn't. There, there was no no real strategies to, to the way we play or what, what position I should play. All, the, all, the, all I knew that I was the left winger, I had, I had to beat the full back and I had to um, help, out, help out the defenders. But it wasn't, didn't say like uh, where you need to be when the opposition got the ball, where you need to be when someone else has got when your own team has got the ball. But Bobby, Bobby wasn't. It was a decent. It was a decent coach. I just for me, I just didn't think he, he coached me well enough in in the position that I was in. Right, I see. One player I did want to talk to you about because you did form a good partnership with him. I've spoken to a few Chelsea fans that were season ticket holders in the late eighties, and I was telling them, so I'm speaking to you, and they mentioned about the the playing relationship, so to speak, that you had with Tony Dorigo. What was Tony like as a player for the for the listeners that perhaps maybe didn't see him in a Chelsea shirt? Oh, an exceptionally good player, and 
um, an electrifying pace he had. Um, and it came by default because most people see me as a left back, but um, I was brought to Chelsea as a wide midfield player. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that happened was when, when Tony went, went past me, which he often did, Right, got on the on the gallops down in the wing. I would just I would just sit in for him until he got back and then get back into midfield. So it became it became a bit of a um, a partnership, knowing that if one go one's gone, the other one can fill in. Um, so yeah, but it was it was an exceptional play. Go, goes on to play for for England and then wins wins the first division title with Leeds. So he's an exceptional player. That following season. Um... We are in the second division, but we win promotion back to the top flight. What was the confidence like throughout that summer going into that season? And in fact, maybe sort of going towards in that season. What was the confidence like in that team? Was there sort of a more of a, a, a squad harmony? But in fact, was there more of, of a desire from individuals and the team to sort of get Chelsea back where they basically belong? Yeah, yeah def- definitely, because we we knew that the season before we seriously under, underperformed. Um, and I think Bobby Campbell that season brings in Graham Roberts and Peter Nicholas. And, and them two galvanised the, galvanised the team and um, got it together, got it, got it harm, harmonious. But saying that, I, I do think the start, that start of the season, we didn't start that second, that the season very well. I think after six games, we were we were near the bottom of the league. Yeah, and I think we went on hell of a, went on one hell of a run before that. But I got to say a, um, a story I heard later. I heard later on from Gary Penrice. That same season, we went to Exeter University for pre-season, and where we were training, Watford were there at the time, and uh, we we went when we go to the, the training ground. Watford are already there. They were training. We came there. We trained, and we left. And when we left, they was they were still training. So uh, the Watford players were complaining to Steve Harrison, said that, "Oh, look, that's not fair. Chelsea came here after us and finished before us." And Steve Harrison said, "Was I said, oh, let's see where they are at the end of the season. But well, that season, we won we won the league with I think ninety nine points. So." It just just proves that we had how good a squad we had, how good a team we had as well. So it was um it was quite pleasing. You mentioned Peter Nicholas and Graham Roberts. How much of an influence were they in the changing rooms on the pitch when you you guys were playing? Because you know again, people sort of that I've spoken to have said that they stood out on on the pitch. You know, you can tell who the leaders were, and the fact that they sort of demanded respect. Can you sort of describe to the listeners what kind of sort of leaders were they at Chelsea? They were they were vo- very vo- vocal, both of them, but also led by example, right? Um, and weren't afraid weren't afraid to, um, to to say what they thought, or my last says say what they saw, tell you what they tell you what they think. Um, if you if you're not if you weren't doing it, they they tell you. But they were quite happy to accept criticism from them, from from themselves. From us um, to them, so yeah, they were they were they were leaders. Um, Robbo in particular, Graham Roberts in particular, was was a le- was a hell of a leader. Um, so as I said, Bobby Campbell brought them to in, and they did galvanise the team and bring it bring it together 
um, in the way that you'd expect. Just on a, a sidetrack, do you think that sort of leadership is partly missing in today's game? Because when you sort of talk about players of that ilk that were leaders on and off the pitch, do you sort of see this modern game having leaders of that calibre? And you know, do, do you think there is a difference in what defies a leader from players in the 80s and 90s to now? Definitely, the, the, defini- the definition of what what you consider a, a leader today is is not is not somebody who like a I've got to say like a Dave Mackay or Graham Roberts or a Roy Keane or uh, Brian Robson who roll their sleeves up and go plowing into tackles to uh, to prove that yeah they're they're they're, they're here and, and they want to be noticed. I think I think the, the modern day captain or leaders show lead by example and do it in a in a less conspicuous way in a less way they don't they're not very they're not as um demonstrative as as the leaders were back in our days but that don't make one right and one wrong that's a fair enough answer i think you know as you say sort of the common sort of discussion now with certain supporters is about oh uh, this this team I'm not talking about Chelsea in, in in particular but you know these big clubs don't have leaders you know we don't have a Keane we don't have a Riera or Tony Adams anymore or John Terry you know referring mm-hmm. to Chelsea we don't have these sort of leaders but I, I think that it sort of does give a good point that the style of leaders has completely changed from for example, when you was playing to what it is now, you know, you're not going to get somebody holding somebody up by the collar in the changing rooms, you know, yeah. basically saying what the bloody hell was that sort of thing. You, you know, you're not going to get that anymore. So no. I think that is important that people should sort of consider that, you know, when people say, oh, there's no leaders in the squad. Well, there's a different that, type. Type of leader. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think people always think, oh, the public generally think, the, the if he's a leader, if he's the captain, he's the one that's barking at everybody, he's telling everybody that what they need to do, or what they can or can't do. But that's not the modern. That's not the modern day uh, footballer. They're not modern day captain. Yes, there'll be there's exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, it's a bit more um, bit more friendly, should I say? People mention about Cesar Aspliqueta, who's the Chelsea captain, and a lot of when fans used to go and I was at the Matthew Harding lower, you know, near enough every home game, people would say, you know, Aspliqueta's not captain material. He's not shouting. He's not sort of, you know, being a John Terry. But again, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. You know, you don't know what goes on half time, full time, you know, day after he could, he could potentially be that sort of way inclined. We don't know. But as you say, there's different leaders for different eras. And I think that now, as you say, Someone like a Roy Keane, I don't think would be ideal in this in, in in this day and age, especially especially with social media as well, sort of being quite yeah. a big thing. Because as soon as so somebody, you know, talks down to a particular player, whether he could be a young academy product making his debut, and somebody like that, you know, addresses him down, then you could have the backlash. You, know, backlash from you could have a backlash. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but going, sorry, can I say going back to uh, no, absolutely, absolutely. The people are only, people only question the captaincy when the team are not doing so well. Aspilicueta, people are not questioning him now. The team are doing quite well. They're not asking 
oh, he's the captain, but he's not very vocal. So you only get, like anything, you only get these questions being thrown at you when the team's not not as successful as the fans would like them to be. Mm-hmm. I Arsenal, Arsenal are a prime example. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Going back to that 88-89 um, season, one game in particular, which, again, I was doing research and I've spoken to a few fans and they said, you know, mentioned this particular game, was um, the 18th of March, 1989, Man City against Chelsea. Chelsea win by three goals to two. It was labelled as, you know, the, the two teams that would should get promoted from the second division to the first. Chelsea win at Main Road. What was the feeling like sort of going towards the end of the season just before it was confirmed? Was there a sense of, yes, this this could eventually, you know, this will be our season? You know, when when did sort of like the wheels start turning whereby there was a feeling of, yeah, this is this is going to be our season? Was it particularly at Main Road or was it maybe before that? If I, if I, again, if I remember rightly, that happened to be a Saturday morning game. And, and that's an absolute weird time for the game to kick off. I don't, I don't know why um, it kicked off on Saturday morning. And it might have been something like half past 10, 11 o'clock. It was really, it was really weird, weird time. But over that season, I think, as I said, I said earlier, we, we, didn't win, we didn't win for the first six games or we only won one out of our first six, something like that. And we, we, were, near the, we were near the bottom of the table and then we were at the top. And I think we put together... A run after that of about of maybe a few losses in in twenty odd games and that catapulted us up the league and into into first position. Yeah, and we were vying with City and we realised that if we win that game there at Main Road, then the um, the the end the end with the the winning post wouldn't be too far away as long as we, we as long as we kept our focus. So yeah, it was it was a bit of a nerve wracking experience, but. Um, we managed to pull it off, and I can remember again Tony Dorigo running away, running away from the halfway line, scoring one. I don't know if he scores the goal or he squares it. Someone else scores it, but we were all trying. To, I was trying to keep up with him, but didn't have a chance. <laughs> As you say, you know Tony Tony Dorigo did have pace, but we end up winning that game three two. How delighted was you personally when the club? You know, one promotion back. It was all confirmed. Chelsea were back in in the first division. What were your thoughts? Oh, back back to the promised land. Um, as, as I said previously, that the, the previous two seasons, um, I'd, I'd taken two teams down. So um, it it, um, it was a um, feather in the cap and a, a great achievement to to bring one back because I'd I'd got promotion with City. Few years earlier, so I'd know the feet. I know the thing. In fact, I think we got we got promoted the same same season that Chelsea got promoted early. Um, so it was it was good to say repair the damage that I'd done the year before. That entire season, you made thirty eight appearances for the club. That included league and cup. Did you sort of sense that? You know, you you get a great run in the side. The fans are sort of behind the team now. Was there a sort of a sense of, you know, it can't get any better than this? Or was you sort of striving for more? Was you sort of striving to sort of rank up the appearances and try and sort of stay at Chelsea for a, a longer period? Well, definitely. I was, I was trying to... I wasn't totally happy with 
my get the game time I was getting. I am. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the statistics say, but I, I didn't. I again, I didn't think I played as many games as thirty-eight in that season. Um, if that's what I played, but I, a number of them would have been substitute appearances. So, um, and I well, I, I've got just just to sort of point out, I have got the numbers. Um, the eighty-seven, eighty-eight, your first season, you made forty-one appearances. Five okay. were sub. The eighty-eight, eighty-nine season, you made thirty-eight appearances. Four was sub. Okay. We're going to talk about the 89-90, which was your last season. You only made yeah. 24 appearances and right. nine were sub. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, no, I, I, I'm thinking I didn't, I didn't feel I was, I was a, a stab, I still didn't feel I was an established player in the team, despite playing, maybe playing all of those games. Um, I always felt that I was, one or two, two games away from not being not being in the team, and I think um, part of that was the next season would prove would prove that would prove that to be the case. But um, I didn't. I gotta say, I'm quite surprised that I I, um, I played that many games and, and that many sub appearances. So yeah, but but yeah, it was it was a it was a great time, and I was I was really just trying to establish myself in the team. Although I didn't think I didn't think I I was. Um, I was a permanent fixture, like one of the first names on the team sheet. So this next season, the 89-90 season, Chelsea are back in the first division. What were sort of your hopes going in for the season? And do you remember what sort of the actual team, you know, what was Bobby Campbell sort of so saying about the objectives for that season? I, I don't I think I think our main objective was just to establish ourselves back in back in the first division. Um Obviously, having come up, having come up from the, the uh, from Division Div Two that year, um, and and for me personally, it was just going to be it's just going to be a case of trying to start. I think my contract was up at the end of that season, so it was trying to um, get myself into the t- into the team on a regular, a more regular basis to, to earn another contract. One game I would like to mention that you were part of, and it's something that sort of will, I say now probably goes down in Chelsea folklore, but not many people sort of would either remember it or like to remember it. Um, The League Cup encounter against Scarborough over two legs. Do you remember much about that uh, particular occasion? Don't we we get beat, don't we? We do, yes. I'm pretty sure that's. I'm not sure if it's Scarb if it's Scarb game. I might be thinking. Um, do we? And I don't know if, the, if if you've got the fixture list there. Do we play Spurs in between the in between the two games? Spurs we played on the 16th of September. The Scarborough we played on the 19th of September. Okay, right. Okay, so you know why that is so pivotal. <laughs> um, I I came I. Um, Tom Dorigo was injured for the um, for the Spurs game, um, and I played I played left back that game. Um, played re- played really well. We beat Spurs four one. That's right. Uh, yes, White Hart Lane. Yeah, um, and I and I and I said that's probably that's probably one of my best games for Chelsea, if not my best game for Chelsea. Um, I played at left back, and I remember saying, uh, if I'm if I'm left out the team. Because Tony was cut, Tony would I think would be he would be back for the next game. If, let, if I'm left out of the team, then I, there's no point in me staying at the, at this club after after next season, at the end of this season. And 
So, so as I, as I said, they picked they picked the side, and I was left I was left out. I remember I remember thinking, well, I don't remember, was we one was we leading from the first leg? I can't even, I don't even remember. But anyway, that was that was a pivotal that was so pivotal in my career, my Chelsea career, because after that I realized that it didn't it didn't really matter how well I played, I was always going to be the fall guy. Mm. It was one all from the first leg. And then we travelled up to Scarborough. We lost three two. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And that's what I said. I just, I was, just, I just remember having a. I remember Bobby Campbell picking, uh, naming the side, and I just, and I thought, oh yeah, I've got me playing. And I, when he named Tony as, as the left back, I just had a sinking feeling and realised that it, after that, my career at Chelsea was was probably over. Just sort of established that you was in and out of the side that season. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned obviously that game against Scarborough being that sort of light bulb moment for you in regards to your career as well. Was there any other moments between you know the, the game against Scarborough in October till you know eventually when we, we will discuss it, your departure? Was there any other moments that was quite frustrating for you where, as you say, you know, you was on the bench, you know, more than what you wanted to be? Oh, there, was, there was a number of occasions. I think even it got to the stage where um, Bobby Campbell would was play. He would play when Tony was injured. He would play Gareth Hall at left back and not play and not and I'd not play. And I, I just I, generally I just got really frustrated that over the um, his his lack of. He didn't give me any reasons behind it. Not that not that he. Yeah, I guess he, he, I'm saying now. Yeah, he should have should have given me a reason why he didn't think I should be playing. But um, I can I can say that he I did have, did go to see him, and then I said to him, look, why why if everyone's getting why if the team lose, am I always am I always the one who loses his place? And he said, well, maybe maybe you're not good enough. These were his words. Maybe not good enough. So I said, well, okay, I, I'll accept that. But if I'm not good enough, can you? Can you sell me? And he went, No, I'm not selling you. So I said, Well, I'm I'm not good enough to be in the team, but I'm too good to be sold. How does that work? How kind of how does that work? And he he just said, Look, I'm not going to sell you. We'll just we'll just see. And so for that, I just I just ended up playing out the season. Fortunately, it turned out to be a good season for Chelsea. I think we finished we finished fifth that year. We did finish fifth that year. Yeah. Yes, finished yeah. fifth that year. And had had there been Europe. Um, Back then, we'd we'd have made it into Europe, and maybe maybe that might it might have been a reason to stay. But um, no, for me, that, as I said, the, after the Spurs and the Scott, you no, know, I, I didn't think it was Scott for life. It was Plymouth, but yeah, you're right. Scott, yeah, of course you're right. Scott, um, I re- and that's what I'm saying. I realised that that was it was time for me to move on. A pivotal sort of day for Chelsea was the full members cup final in 1990. We played Middlesbrough, bit ironic. We end up winning the game 1-0. Tony Dorigo scored a fantastic goal, but you was left out of the squad. Was it to do with injury or was it to do with more team selection? Yeah, you know, yeah. you're not in the squad. Yeah, yeah just, I was, um, I think in the days of two two subs as well. Um, I can't remember if it's David Lee and somebody else, because I think I've got, I've got a picture of of that somewhere, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't to do with any, wasn't to do with any anything other than he just didn't think I was um, I was good enough to be playing. 
personally, how frustrating was that for you, knowing that, you know, a day out at Wembley, Chelsea got a chance to win something, albeit it is the full Members' Cup, but what was sort of going through your mind at that point? Was it a case of, yeah, this is point of no return, I have to leave, or or was there other sort of bits floated in your mind? No, I, I think I, I would have been, I guess, like most of footballers, um, it's it's a bit of a hollow hollow victory hollow uh, medal if you get a medal and you don't take part in I don't take part in the game for me personally that's what I would think um, so it, it would be great to taking part in the game um, but I realised that that wasn't going to be the case so I just have to accept my fate and that, that's what I did. So go to the summer of nineteen ninety. Um, albeit I was only a few months old, so I definitely didn't remember. But you left the club to join uh, Queen's Park Rangers. How did that move come about f- for you? Yeah, again, um, a funny thing. Uh, I, I came on at Chelsea. We played QPR earlier in that season. Um, and we were 2-0 that would I might be 2-0 down um, when I came on. And as I came on, I think Mark Falco scored for Chelsea to make it 3-0 volley. But I played re- I played, I played in midfield and uh, I played really well that day. And I think um, I was up against Ray Wilkins and I guess, I think it was Peter Reid, right? Um, and I, again, I, I say, yeah, I, played, I played well that day and we, we, we got back into the game, but not well, enough, not well enough to have win it, but we got back into the game. Um, and I think because of that performance there, QPR kept their eye on me. Um, I don't know if they knew that my contract was up or they found out the contract was up, but um, I just, I'd always known, I didn't know that they, they would have been interested, but I'd always known that it was time for me to leave at the end of that season. Didn't know where I was going to go, but um, sometimes sometimes that's what happens. Teams pick you because you play well against them. Of course, that wasn't the last time you'd put on a Chelsea shirt because, of course, years sort of have gone by and say recently because of the coronavirus, but a few years ago, you was part of the Chelsea vet side. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that experience because, you know, that hasn't sort of been mentioned too much on the podcast before, you know, to just sort of describe to myself and the listeners, you know, what, what was that occasion like? And in fact, sort of tell us how did that move come about whereby you was part of that and you was able to play with either some of your ex-teammates or players that you know you've obviously played against with other yeah. clubs yeah um I think um I can't remember if it was when I first when I first got into it, I think Clive Walker was running it um and and I, don't, I can't remember how how it came about that um they, they wanted me to play but I remember getting getting a phone call and saying well this Chelsea old Chelsea old boys um, got a charity game against some team. Uh, would you like to play it? And of course, I said, of course, I said yes. But it's, it was always it was a great occasion to to meet up with with um, players you haven't seen. Like some of them, I haven't seen from first year, first year, first three years since nineteen ninety, and I was seeing these like in the in the two thousands. So 10, 10 15 wow. years later. Mm. So. And and some of them, some of them, obviously you, you recognise. Like most of us, we'd, we'd all put on a bit a bit of weight, and you realise, no, <laughs> how did we manage to run around the pitch looking like that? But you know that he didn't look like that when he played. But um, yeah, it was a really good experience. We had some we had some really good um, charity games and a couple of uh, good tours. I remember a tour we went to 
went on to Germany to play some indoor football. Yeah, it was, re- it was really good, really, really good and, and enjoyable. Brilliant. Do you have any sort of fun stories of, you know, when you've done like tournaments or maybe one of the players sort of done something a bit, maybe they shouldn't have done because of, as you say, you know, you guys have got older and maybe the fitness isn't there as such. Not, not, there's no maybe about it. Yes, I do. I just remember, I can't even remember who it was. We, we played a game and Pete, someone pulled their hamstring within minutes of the game starting, or seconds of the game starting. I can't even think who it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, can't, I can't think of it. But, but things like, because you, you take it for, we tend, we tend to take it for granted that, yeah, we, we, were, we were fit, we were supple one time, and we were always, and that's always going to be the case. So when you get, get older, they don't warm, you don't warm up as well, as well as you should and think, oh, you can just go out there and, and kick a ball about, but... And Mother Nature tells you quickly that no, you've you got to you got to prepare just as well when you're old as you do when you're young. Absolutely, um, Clive. Let's talk about the modern day football now. Um, I've mentioned this to a few of my, my past guests, and some of them have been sort of pro VAR. Some of them have been con. Your thoughts on it? Of course, uh, as we're recording on on the Monday, the day before we had, or the, sort of the weekend before, excuse me, or even going back to the Friday and the Saturday, so many crazy moments in VAR that affected the Premier League of that weekend. What's your thoughts on this great technology? I, I, always, thought, I always thought it would be, it'd be very good. It's a bit like the, when they first introduced goal line technology. That was fine for, goal, for just seeing if the ball's over the line or not. So now we've introduced VAR, VAR and it's seen for uh, decisions. My Issue, problem with it is how far how far are we taking it because there's, there's there's steps now over um whether someone's head is offside someone's arm their fingers if what where do we go and and the main issue with it was last season which they, they addressed last season i thought that the um the, the controversial decisions were always being made by um stockley park so it exonerated the ref from any blame this this year, um, is, which is better for me, the, the refs are at least going over and looking looking at the monitor and then making the decision. My yes. question will be: there'll be ninety nine percent of us will say, "Oh, that's not a foul," or "That's that is a foul," and he will give the opposite. He'll give the opposite um, decision, and you'll think, "Well, what did he see that we didn't see?" And and I just don't know if that if that VAR is good is going to be good for the game long term or bad for the game long term but what what I do think is it's very elitist because before VAR came around and, and I don't want to make it sound like it it's um foot, football was the same wherever you go so the referee made the decision and you either liked it or you didn't right right now you're saying well that if if it was if you can say that if if I was playing in league 2 uh VAR is is non-existent, so why is it not why is it not in League Two but only in the top division? Is there the, only because there's more money riding on it in the top division, but the the pressures on the managers are just the same. It is interesting, sort of, when you say it like that, because I look at comp- competitions like the FA Cup. You know, they have it 
in the later rounds. They have it sort of in Premier League grounds. But then if you're a big club and you go to somewhere that's in League One and League Two and they don't have it and you're so used to having VAR there as, sort of like, call it a protection, I, 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 I personally think that's wrong to sort of have a piece of software in a competition that doesn't cover every team that's in the competition. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I said it's, it's a bit elitist because what, what we're then saying is that the because the Premiership and the, the Premiership has, has the most has the most money in it, then it's more important to the Premiership than it is to the, the man in League Two, which it's not because he's going to lose whichever way the, the results go, he's going to lose his job based on that result or based on that decision that that cost him the result. So I, I don't know if there's a kind of solution to it a, a type of solution but at the minute it's just it's just available to the elite clubs or to the top clubs in the top division clubs and um, and I don't think that's I don't personally think that's fair for for the integrity of the game I think it should be available to everyone but it can't be because of the cost hmm. would you keep it then if that's the case I would keep it if only for um, decisions of as, is it a goal? Is it a foul? Isn't a foul? Is it, oh no, sorry. Is it a penalty? Is it not a penalty? I would keep I'd keep it for that um, because I guess it's it's here to stay. Now it's here, um, but I wouldn't the offside offside rules. I think that that's the one that I'd I'd like to see change for, and even even the the handball one where. Um, I think I saw one the other day. His back, his back was turned, and it hits his arm, and he gives a penalty. Well, that that can't be intentional, mm. it, because he's looking the other way. I mean, the one that springs to mind is uh, they gave one against Eric Dyer earlier in the season uh, when New, Newcastle played Spurs, and Eric Dyer was looking the opposite way. So, and you can't just you can't just give it for that. And I don't think there should be any ambiguity about that. If he's not looking at the ball, he can't possibly he can't be saying well he's intentionally handballed it because he's not looking. Even if it's hit him, but how are we going to change that? Because the rules are if the ball hits you in the in the um, on the hand in the penalty box, they're going to give a penalty. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it doesn't matter if yeah. I'm if I'm two yards away or or twenty yards away. Yeah. I just, I just don't, I just don't. They, which they said all, all throughout this weekend. The problem we've got is there's no consistency with it. And exactly. If, yeah. And if we could, if we could get to a point where there's, there's a there's consistency, and you know that he gave that decision last, he gave a penalty for it last week, but this week is is not. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna question it. You're gonna say, well, why was it good enough? I, and even if you look at yesterday, the. Uh, Burnley Newcastle game. Uh, I think it's Tarkovsky. Tarkovsky kicks. Um, oh, makes attempt to kick it. Uh, yes. yes. Longstaff puts his head down, and the referee would anywhere else on the pitch, he would want to give that as a um, as a free kick. But yes. because it's in the penalty box, he's not going to give it. Yes. That's that's the, that's the craziness of it. But um, but then. We, we we can't keep going down. We won't be able to go down the pub and say, "Well, the referee was shite today," because <laughs> because it wasn't the referee. Somebody yeah. else, somebody else made the decision. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Just a couple of more questions, Clive, before I do let you go. Um, your thoughts on Chelsea this season? It hasn't been a boring one for Chelsea this season, has it? It's been a bit of a, sort of a whirlwind season for, for them, of course. Um, what's what's been your thoughts on Chelsea throughout this campaign? I I thought at the start of the season that they would mount a and pardon upon not Mason, I'm thinking here, mm-hmm. they would mount a serious, a serious challenge on the. Uh, the Premiership, having having finished fourth last year, yes, having finished fourth last year, buying Werner Havertz, um, I can't remember, um, Z, is it Ziyech? Hakim Ziyech, yeah. Well, having bought them, um, I thought, oh yeah, there's a, there's a, they're going to mount a, a bigger challenge on the um, on the league this year, but and it started off okay, um, but but they just seem to have, they seem to have lost their way. Um, and I just thought, for me, I didn't think that. Um, frankly, he was consistent. He was consistent with his his um, he was consistent with his um, with his, his selections, but wasn't when they, when things were going wrong, couldn't didn't couldn't find a plan B, so to speak. Yes. Um, I, so I thought I was surprised. I was very surprised at the timing of it. The timing of the not, nothing ever really surprises you in football, but. Um, it just—it was just so much the timing of, of the decision, um, and as as it turns out, it's proved to be a very good decision because I think since he's come, they've, they've lost one game. One game That's possibly. right. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. so it's proven that. But the question, another question you've got to ask yourself is: is um, with the same players, he's getting a different tune out of the same players. Why? Yes, I know people. People will look at it and go, "Well, it's, the players weren't playing for Frank, but they were." I just don't think. I just don't think he had the. Uh, he got the the team, the balance of the team, and the um, structure of the team correct. Whereas uh, Tuchel seems to have come in and at once sorted out the defense, and now he's moving on. He's moving on up the pitch, and he's got. He played on Saturday with a, um, a kind of a not a recognized number nine. So giving the, giving the opposition something to think about, something different to think about. And I think that's part of it is keeping the, kind of keeping the opposition guessing as, as to what are we going to play, who's going to play and where they're going to play. But I do think that they've got um, an even better chance of Champions League semis. Um, so it's not look, it's at this moment, it's not looking too bad, despite all the, the trauma and turmoil that you associate with, che- with Chelsea. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it was a case of if this was, you know, a, a crazy season whereby we don't normally get rid of managers midway through the season, then I think there would be a little bit more of a of an issue. But every other season, we seem to get rid of managers midway through the season. So, you know, it's just it's a successful it's a successful policy. Right? They get they get rid of the manager, and the, t- the team then goes on to win something. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully, hopefully this season something does sort of happen for Chelsea and, in fact, Thomas Tuchel. But, Clive, last last question: How how do you look back on your career at Chelsea? Um, I would I would use the word um, roller coaster. <laughs> so so because if you look at because first first season I go down, the next season I, I come up, and then. We still, we still we were still going up, so to speak, when I left. But then then we then it would have been plateau finishing fifth. But but if I'm if I'm brutally honest about it, um, it wasn't 
as successful a time as I would have liked. Any regrets? No, 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 no regrets. Because you, um, it's a life experience. You can't always, you can't always have success. And uh, the thing about life is you've got to learn from the disappointments. And, and that's what you've got to you do. Learn and accept, your dis- accept the disappointments and be able to bounce, bounce back from them. So no, no regrets whatsoever. Fantastic. Clive, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the Blue Day podcast. I have absolutely enjoyed having you here. It's been good to see you and hopefully we'll see you maybe back at the bridge someday when the full crowds are back. Yeah, pretty soon. We'll be back. We'll be nice to hear that liquidator again. Yes, absolutely. Clive, thank you very much and we'll speak soon. All right. Take care, Keith. Thanks Thanks for the call. podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.